0: Hey everyone, it's Erin Carey and I am so excited to have Dr. Duena Welch back on the show. Her first episode was met with so many interesting comments and messages from listeners. I received so much positive feedback and so I'm really excited to have her back on the show. And just for a recap, she is the original Love Factually author and coach known for using social science to solve real life relationship issues. She has written books called Love factually 10 proven steps from my wish to I do also love factually for single parents and those dating them. She has a book called love factually singles. All of her books rely on science rather than opinion to help men and women find and keep the right partner. And I encourage you to go back to that first episode to really dig into everything that Dr. Duana Welch
1: does. She's amazing. And I am just so excited to have you back on the show. So thanks again for being on the show. I am really happy to be back. It was so much fun last time. And I understand that your listeners have some really terrific, insightful questions today. Yes, I have a
0: whole list of relationship questions because I guess apparently I just don't do enough podcasts on relationships. So I've got a full list for us today that I'm excited to get through. So just getting started, I'd love to know, um, you know, when it comes to conflict, what do you see? with conflict and and communication in a relationship, what do you see being a lot of the root causes that, that bring up conflict in a relationship?
1: Oh, I love this because there is actually a root cause at the bottom of almost every conflict. And the root cause is I'm wondering, are you there for me? Am I your top priority? Are you really on my team? It's an attachment question. And, I, and you know, last time we met, what we talked about was attachment style. So at the root of most ongoing conflict, there is a question of whether I am at the heart of your heart, whether I'm really that big a priority, whether you're really on my team, whether we're really devoted to each other. Uh, of course, that's not like, you know, if you're just momentarily annoyed with someone, that's not necessarily the case. But most conflicts among couples are ongoing. They're not just one or two time conflicts. And so at the root of those kind of conflicts, what are called perpetual or gridlocked conflicts, um, this is what you see, this question of how meaningful, how important people are to each other.
0: Yes, I totally agree with that. And it sounds so basic, but I think that that's something that we miss and in, in, especially in the heat of the moment, right? Like in the heat of the moment, I just want to share my perspective. I don't really want to listen to you and your perspective. And I guess that's probably the problem, right?
1: Yeah. It's really, you know, for years and years, therapists tried to get people to, and they still do. They still try to get people to say, what I hear you saying is, and to calmly reflect back, Thoughts and feelings before expressing and and fully hear the other person before taking your own turn. And, you know, that's just too much for a lot of people to handle. I mean, what therapists are finding and have actually known about for a generation now, even though they keep trying to teach this tool is for a lot of people, they just can't do it. They're too upset.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I, especially again, we get our emotions all wound up and it's hard to, well, you know, you go back to just basic brain health, right? You can't access your prefrontal cortex when you're in fight or flight. That's what I always try to tell myself. <laughs> um, it's hard to remember, but I think that that's a really, that's so helpful. And it's a really good baseline for all of these other questions that I have. And and one being what are trigger
1: words or phrases that lead to conflict? What do you see? Oh. Okay. So as you know, I, oh God, I love that question. So as you know, um, I come at things from a scientific perspective and there's science on all of this. The answers I've given you so far are based on you know, 30 to 45 years of longitudinal research, meaning following the same couples over time, mainly from the Gottman Institute, John Gottman and Julie Schwartz Gottman's research lab at the University of Washington in Seattle originally. And then they, they had their own laboratory after that. And there are certain hot button phrases that need to be avoided if you want to avoid tearing down your relationship, because here's what I can tell you for sure. Criticism always worsens a relationship. And what's interesting about my saying, criticism always worsens a relationship is two things. Number one, I know there are a lot of women out there, especially going, wait, never? It never helps? You mean never, ever, ever? Because women tend to think they're helping the relationship by criticizing their partner. Also, people tend to confuse the difference between criticism and um, making a complaint. Complaints are helpful. Criticism is unhelpful. And a lot of us are not raised knowing what the difference is between a complaint and criticism. So there are master couples and disaster couples, and all of them have conflict. All of them have areas of disagreement. And in fact, one of the most important things I ever learned about relationships that really kind of set me free and gave me a lot of hope is that disaster couples have 69% of their problems that will never, ever, ever be solved. But so do master couples. So it's not the fact that you have unsolved problems. You shouldn't even solve all your problems. It's impossible. Two-thirds of your problems will never be solved, no matter how happy you are. So the good news here, the bad news, of course, is two-thirds of your problems will never get solved. But the good news is, you know what? There are a lot of of people who have two-thirds of their problems that are never solved, and they're really happy. So what are they doing? And it turns out people can learn to have conflict in a healthy way. Conflict is unavoidable. If you're avoiding conflict, you're avoiding intimacy. So it Mm. it just doesn't work. You have to have conflict. But the way you have conflict is super important. So let's get back to this question Are there hot button phrases? Yes. You always, you never, you know what your problem is. These are three things to avoid. You always, you never, do you know what your problem is? Or you know what your problem is. These are entrees into criticism rather than complaint. Criticism says there is something wrong with you, my dear. That's what it says. And among people who have any level of healthy self-esteem, they're going to defend themselves. And what we know is then what I call the bad tennis game gets started. I criticize you, you defend yourself. I show you contempt, you stonewall. Mm. Those are what John Gottman calls the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Because <laughs> if that becomes habitual in your relationship, the odds that you're going to wind up divorced are over 96% within the next four years. How about that? Wow. Are 96%? Yes, in the next four years. Wow. And the, what are the four horsemen again? Because that's really interesting. Yeah, it's it's really it's really <laughs> yeah. Now that I've said that, maybe people are like, oh, I want that repeated. So it goes in this order one person in heterosexual couples, it's usually the woman because women tend to take the emotional temperature of relationships. It's not because women are worse people. It's because women tend to be the relationship mechanic. That's my word for this. The person Hmm. who, who checks in with the relationship and notes problems and brings them up. And you know, what? that's a great job. It's an important job. Someone needs to do it. But the way you do it is super important. You know, there are really terrible mechanics out there. You'd never want to take your car to. And then there are really good ones that you tell all your friends about. It's important to become one of the really good ones so you can be part of a master couple. So here are the things you want to avoid. These are the bad mechanic moves. Don't criticize your mate. And we'll get into what that means in a moment. Because when you criticize, again, research shows and this is so fascinating to me, you know, social science research, we're normally happy with an outcome that is predictive, like 10% of the time, 20%, 30%. It's very unusual for us in social science to have a statement that is always true or never true, right? We know percentages of the time that it will be true. So when I say criticism always makes a relationship worse, that is a powerful statement. It means that across all studies across all years that we've been doing this, it has always been true 100% of the time. That's really, really something to pay close attention to. So we know relationships always get worse when criticism is used. And we know that arguments always end on the same note they began on. And what this means, relationship mechanics out there, whether you're male or female, if you're the person who's likely to bring something up, that's you, you're the mechanic. What that means is to be a good mechanic, you need to use something that scientists refer to as soft startup and Hmm. soft startup means that you're very kind and very gentle with how you bring up what you need. And your focus is not on your partner's failings. It's on your feelings. So coming back to the things to avoid, you need to avoid criticism, defensiveness, contempt, and stonewalling. This is so helpful. Now I think I'm going to need a deeper
0: dive on what each of those mean. But before we get into that, I want to take a second and thank our sponsor for this episode. This episode is sponsored by Sleep Number. Now I've been sharing about my Sleep Number bed for a little while now. My sleep number is 40 and my sleep IQ average for the month of October was 81. It's a great score. I have been getting such amazing sleep. But you know what I haven't shared about? I have not shared about the zero G setting. What I can do when I want to relax when my back is feeling a little bit achy and tired is I can adjust my bed to put my feet up put my head up a little bit and I can read I can relax sometimes I even meditate or I put on some calming music and practice my breath work but that is one feature of the sleep number bed that I find to be so helpful for me and it's kind of funny actually my mom and one of her friends were over recently and they were putting the bed into zero G mode and getting so excited about how comfortable it was. Oh, they need to convince their husbands that they need to get a sleep number bed. I'm telling you that zero G setting is legit. It is so cozy and so comfortable. And, and the reason I share that with you is that While the holiday season that's coming up is festive and fun, it can also be stressful. Gift shopping, decorating, hosting, traveling, all take a toll. Quality sleep is essential to help boost energy, recovery, and well-being. And quality rest is essential as well. And so I love putting my sleep number bed in zero G mode and relaxing. Now, just a few quick tips about winding down for a good night's sleep. You can meditate before you sleep. Try a guided meditation Meditation or listen to a recording of gentle rain to help you relax. Eat the right food. Avoid heavy meals and alcohol at least an hour before bedtime. And watch your caffeine intake. Sleep IQ data shows sleepers who have caffeine in the evening are less restful and have higher average heart rates than those who don't. Again, this is the time of year that we really want to manage our stress and we really want to be making sure that we are having good restful sleep, and all of that is possible with Sleep Number. Discover special offers now for a limited time at your local Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com slash wholeness. Sleep Number, proven quality sleep is life-changing sleep. Okay, Dr. Welch, we are talking about marriage and you mentioned the four horsemen and I wanted to get more information on that. The four horsemen you mentioned are criticism, defensiveness, contempt, and stonewalling. So can you give an explanation on
1: each of those? Sure. Well, criticism is any message that says, I know better than you, or there's something wrong with you. Those are criticism. We're going to go in a few minutes into much greater detail into the difference between criticism and complaint because master couples complain a lot. How about that? Interesting. It's not that they sweep it under the rug or just think, oh, he's great in so many other ways. I'll just ignore this. No, 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 no it's that they complain rather than criticize. So we'll do a deeper dive on that in a minute, but that's what criticism conveys. It conveys, if you're if you're tempted to think, is this criticism? Ask yourself, am I about to share my feelings or my partner's failings? And that will be a good guide. Hmm. Criticism inevitably leads to the other horsemen of the apocalypse. The second one is defensiveness. If I say to my partner, you're a slob, You always leave your underwear on the floor. My partner is not likely to say, you know what, you're completely right. I will pick them up from now on. In fact, in research, that has never been the case. What happens 100% of the time is this other person tries to defend themselves. So they may say, well, I picked my underwear up yesterday. What are you talking about? Or they might say, what about you? Your half of the closet looks pretty messy too. Or they might say, but look at all the other wonderful things that I do for you. Or they might try to deflect with humor. What they don't do is come over to your way of seeing things. And it leaves you feeling more alone. Because what we're really saying when we say you always do this is I'm upset and I need you to come over to my side. And people don't come over to our side when we attack them. Criticisms True. and attacked and they just, they they don't come over to our side. And so what happens is not only does our partner defend him or herself, but then we feel even less supported than before. And so do they. And so instead of bringing us close together, which is the goal of all healthy conflict. Did you all hear that? The goal of healthy conflict is not to be right. The goal of healthy conflict is to come closer together. Master couples are adept at remaining aware of that goal. They choose the words carefully. You know, this idea that love is never having to say you're sorry. You can just say anything to the person you love. Let it all hang out. That's destructive. Empirically proven to be destructive. So there's defensiveness. You want to avoid being defensive. Let's say your partner is not yet well-versed in how to complain. And your partner has just criticized you. I know it's tempting to do one of the defensive things that I just said. But it will be immensely helpful if what you think to yourself in that moment is, my partner is having a difficult feeling. I need to help them with this. What will help is you can say, I'm feeling defensive. I need, it will really help me to know what you need from me right now, what you're feeling and what you need from me. Or I feel like I'm being criticized right now. It will really help me hear you. If you tell me instead how you're feeling and what you need. So those of you who are frequently on the receiving end, this is a way to diffuse the situation hmm. that I'm handing you. And, and so, but saying it like, what do you need from me? That's probably <laughs> not the right way to go about it. <laughs> well, I mean, you're probably gonna feel pretty, pretty frustrated. That might come out. I find it really has helped my clients when I teach them the following. At any point in an argument, you can use what's called a repair attempt. Repair attempts take many forms. They don't always look pretty or elegant, but they they basically amount to getting back on the same team. And one of the ease a lot of people can't remember in the heat of the moment a lot of the phrases that therapists try to teach them. So I'm just going to give you (laughs) one, just one. And I hope you'll write this down. Hey, sweetheart, I'm on your side. Hmm. Can we take this down a notch? I'm on your side. I want, I want to be on your team. Can can is there something I can do to show you that? This is a great way to diffuse the situation, the tension at any point in an argument, at any point in a fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. So what so you said, okay, so criticism is the
0: first defensiveness, and, defensiveness, yes. and then contempt. Then, yeah, or, then there's contempt. Ooh, okay. that's contempt, da- that's a dangerous ooh. one.
1: Contempt, I believe, was the number one predictor of divorce.
0: Okay, I think I've and heard these, that before too. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. These
1: studies of of communication, when you get to the contempt phase like a lot of people early in their relationship, there's criticism and defensiveness, and that's as far as it goes. Then as that becomes an entrenched pattern, then we get to contempt. Normally the way it happens is the relationship mechanic says something critical. And then the recipient of that says something defensive. And then the mechanic having not gotten anywhere on an entrenched issue is so frustrated that they show contempt. Contempt Mm
0: -hmm. is
1: scoffing it's rolling your eyes. Ooh, there's a reason your mother said, do not roll your eyes at me. Don't you dare roll your eyes at me because that says I'm better than you. Anything that conveys I'm better than you, or you are beneath me is contempt. And two of the common ways are scoffing and rolling your eyes. It's a terrible sign. Wow. It's a terrible sign. So you're saying, sorry, I I don't want to
0: interrupt your role because this is so good, but I want to make sure I get this clarified for anybody who has a question. So if we can be um, more
1: intentional about the criticism and the defensiveness, then it won't have to get to the contempt. Excellent point. The relationship mechanic, usual, unless you're with somebody who is an abuser, in which Mm -hmm. case I've written a book on that, that I tried to make free, but Amazon insists that I charge something. So it's 99 cents. (laughs) That's the lowest they will let me charge for it. But I've, I have a book about getting away from an abuser and identifying whether you're really with one Mm. what the types of abusers are all of that. So I urge you to get it because no amount of excellent relationship skills will cause an abuser to behave reasonably, kindly, and respectfully. I want you to understand that. I've had a lot of letters over the years from, women, especially who are in an abusive situation where they've said, I've done everything you've taught me, Dr. Welch. And you know, my partner still abuses me. Yes. Because abusers abuse. This isn't about you. Mm -hmm. So if you're in that situation, I, I feel so much compassion for you, so much empathy for you. And I want you to understand this is not your fault and you can't communicate your, your way out of it. Instead, you can learn what this, you know, whether you're really with an abuser and what to do about it, but Mm -hmm. your communication style is not going to change them. They're doing what they do. You're just the person they happen to be with. If they were with someone else, they would do it to her instead or him instead. So yes, you as the relationship mechanic have a lot of power here because you get to decide how to initiate the conversation and the cascade toward contempt starts with criticism every time. So if you don't criticize, it doesn't get to this point. Hmm. So but complaining is okay and making sure
0: you're letting your feelings be known is okay just as long as it's not the you are doing
1: this, you always do this, you never do this, you should do this, that that kind of language. Yes, We're, and we are going to get again, just in another minute, to what is a complaint and what is a criticism? Because complaining is good. You need it. Otherwise your sex life is going bye bye. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> That's if you think point. you're gonna live for X number of years with this person and not bring anything up, you're gonna have a terrible relationship. It's mm-hmm. it's gonna be one that looks good on the surface that has no depth or heart to it. So we don't want to avoid dealing with things in the relationship. It's how we deal with them. Mm-hmm. And if we deal with them appropriately, we don't have to get into defensiveness. But what I'm saying is let's say you're not the mechanic and your partner criticizes you, you can diffuse a lot of this by saying, I'm on your side. Can you tell me how you're feeling? Can you tell me what you need? I'm on your team. You mm-hmm. can diffuse it. If you can remember to slow your role with the natural human inclination to defend ourselves. Yeah. You can say, ouch, that hurt. I want to be on your team, but it's really hard to hear.
0: Mm-hmm. No,
1: no, I need, I need you to tell me this in a way that I can hear. Can you say what you're feeling and what you need? How can I support you? These are all good things to say. I encourage people, by the way, to keep it written down or keep it even better on a notes function on your phone and say to your partner, I need a moment and look at your phone. And if your partner says you're looking at your phone say, yeah, I wrote some things down because I get so triggered in these moments. I wrote some things down to try to help us. That's good. So if, if you're not the, the relationship mechanic, if you're the respondent, if you're the recipient of these attempts, then, you know, try to avoid defending yourself and do these other things instead. If you're the mechanic and you find that you're being contemptuous, make a decision. People, do you want this relationship or not? Because contempt is a decision on the not side. Yeah. Yeah. There's never a reason to roll your eyes or scoff at your partner. Or say in a sarcastic tone of voice, we already tried that. Remember?
0: Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Those are all very common. Yeah. Those are, but those are such common things that it's, that's a tough one for people to try to break.
1: It's hard because in the moment we're not thinking, you know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to completely ruin my relationship. That's not what we're thinking. What we're thinking is I'm so upset. I don't feel like you're on my team. I'm, it, and that's not even conscious. We don't think that consciously, but that's where it's coming from. It's coming from old patterns of feeling that you've always been disappointed in the past. and It's always going to happen again. And that you're alone in this world and nobody's on your really on your side. And you thought this would be different. Mm-hmm. This is going to be just the same. If we can't break the pattern, it really, you, you'll be right. I don't want you to be right about that. What I want for you and for everybody is for you to have a love life that is so good that it's ripple effect into the world. It's create a better world, to create a better world, a better family, a happier life for everybody. That that touches your life, and when people are happy in their intimate lives, that's what happens. So mm-hmm. I want that for you. And you know, this is very human. I'm not saying people are basically bad. By the way, some people who hear this think I'm saying oh, people suck. No, I'm not saying <laughs> that. What I'm saying is when people feel lonely and misunderstood and like their partner isn't on their side then they do predictable things that show they're hurt.
0: Yeah.
1: They show that. And that's why a lot of people go to a therapist because the therapist isn't he or She doesn't have a lot of skin in this game. This person's able to say, boy, it sounds like the two of you really hurt right now. Hmm. Can we take a breath? These are things that couples find too hard to do in the moment. Mm -hmm. And again, it starts with how do we initiate this discussion? And then there's stonewalling and stonewalling is when the pattern has become so entrenched that the person who's on the receiving end, usually not the mechanic, but the other person either literally or metaphorically crosses. It's usually his, but could be her, his arms looks at a spot at a distant point, like the thousand yard gaze and just waits for you to stop talking. And for the Discussion, which isn't a discussion, it's a monologue at this point to be over so that they can leave the room. Or they may actually leave the room. If you're a stonewaller, I want to let you know that the next phase of your relationship is Mm dissolution. It's, and I, I want to be clear about this because people who engage in stonewalling think that they're helping the relationship, they think they're preventing the fight from getting worse. But what your partner hears is, You are so not valuable to me that I'm not even going to engage you when you're really hurting. You're just not worth the effort. What's tragic here is that's not the message the Stonewaller intends to convey to the stonewall e but it is the message that is received. This is how a lot of affairs happen. People at this phase Mm -hmm. feel really lonely. You know, most affairs don't happen because somebody's thought, you know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to go and get some strange. That is not how most affairs happen. They happen when people get lonely, especially when women get lonely, by the way, there you years and years ago. I grew up listening to country music and years and years ago, there was a song called lonely women make good lovers. (laughs) I don't remember that. That's funny. Oh, I could sing it for you right now today. (laughs) I'm not going to, but I could. And that is true empirically. Empirically, by the time people get to the phase where the cascade has gone criticism, defensiveness, contempt, stonewalling, criticism, defensiveness, contempt, stonewalling. Well, people are lonely. Yeah. And this is when a lot of people, especially women, become very vulnerable to. The charm of, as the song continues, a smooth talking, good looking man. <laughs> yeah. So how do we stop this? Well, we complain. Mm. So I'm going to tell you what criticism looks like. And then I'm going to tell you what complaining looks like instead. And Erin, does it help at all to give me a specific example that anyone's asked you about, maybe about, you know, a frequent kind of fight they have? Yeah. Um, I do
0: have, let's see, let me look here. There is one that it's somebody who is seeking to improve communication, but they have past and continual rejections that kind of seem to keep getting in the way. And I think a lot of past hurts that keep getting in the way is what it appears to be from, from the question.
1: And so I wonder if, if that would work well for you. So let's say that this person is, uh... It sounds like she's anxious and the partner is avoidant from what you're saying. I think you're right. (laughs) I I mean, you know, I've gotten, I have so much experience with this at this point. I'm just going to call it like I'm seeing it. Mm -hmm. It sounds like she is feeling that when she needs something, her partner pulls further away instead of coming closer. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So it's really common for there to get to be a dynamic in these situation called the pursuer distance or dynamic. It is a top predictor of divorce. In fact, among communication styles, the the top predictor because the woman becomes the pursuer where she's insisting on demanding more and more closeness and the, the man who is avoidant then wants to run further and further away. And I will tell you for this, I have there's a form of therapy. There's not just a communication tool that's going to fix this. You need what's called emotion-focused therapy, mm-hmm. which Dr. Sue Johnson originated. It's got empirical proof behind it. And I urge you to look into that form of therapy. Go on psychologytoday.com, look at the find a therapist feature. Type in the kind of insurance you have, if any, the gender of the therapist that if that's important to you and make sure that they are uh, skilled and knowledgeable about emotion focused therapy, excuse me. And then call those therapists, make an appointment for you and your mate with the one that you connect with that calls you back relatively soon, or calls you back and says, I'm not taking new clients, but here's this other person that may not even be on psychology today. Who is then call that person, but follow, follow, that path because your relationship needs it. And that therapy is really helpful for about two thirds of couples in that unfortunate dynamic. Now, until now, between now and then, here's what you can do. Avoid criticizing and complain instead. Criticism would look like the following. You're never there when I need you. You're always looking at your phone. You don't love me anymore. What the initiator here, the relationship mechanic means by this is I'm devastated that you don't seem to love me the way that I love you. And I need reassurance and signs of love and commitment from you. But that's not what she is saying. What she is saying is you are a problem. Mm -hmm. So let's identify the bones of criticism. They are starting with the word you, or the concept of the word you, some people get very good at saying things like, I feel like you're a jerk. (laughs) (laughs) I think I've tried that before my marriage. It doesn't work well. (laughs) Still criticism. (laughs) (laughs) So the word you or the concept of you is the, the crux of the matter, the concept or the words always or never, and then a failing on the part of your partner a failing on the part of your partner. So the focus is my partner's failings, my partner's behavior, um, my partner's flaws. Also, there tends to be a global component here. You as a person have problems and issues. (laughs) It's that's the commute, The meta communication is you have issues. Mm -hmm. Okay. You are not good enough. Complaint focuses on me and my feelings and my needs. Me, my feelings, my needs, oh my, me, my feelings, my needs, oh my, that's it. It gives our partner a chance to meet us where we are. So I'm feeling sad and lonely right now. Can I have a hug? I will tell you the biggest challenge to getting our needs met. It is being so triggered that it is difficult for us to even identify our needs. It's much easier to say what our partner is doing wrong. Because some of us don't actually know what our needs are. If this is you, if you were raised, a lot of us, myself included, we were raised not to know what we're feeling. You can't complain if you don't know what you're feeling. So have I got a free goodie for you. It is called The Feeling Wheel by Gloria Wilcox, Dr. Gloria Wilcox, W-I-L-C-O-X, You can type this in, in Google, the feeling wheel by Dr. Gloria Wilcox, and you will find an image of it, which you can print or download. You can put it on your phone. My partner and I have printed it out. And every single night we talk to each other, we take turns and we tell each other what we felt throughout the day and why I love that. You know why we do this? Because now when either one of us needs to say something about our needs, it's easy for us to do because in a lot of moments that were very low stakes, that had nothing to do with the other person, we were able to say exactly how we felt. And in case you wonder, how important is this to Dwayne Welch? Look, I'm holding it up. (laughs) It's on my desk. It's on my desk. I do this. This is called emotional literacy. Most of us Mm -hmm. aren't emotionally literate and you can't Mm -hmm. complain. If you don't know how you feel, because a complaint starts with the words I feel, or I felt it starts with those words. So a good trick for you to change the dynamic is for you to practice every day saying how you feel or felt. If your partner thinks this is hokey, you can say, you know what? It's okay. If you don't want to join me in this right now, But I learned that, you know, our relationship, like we might not even need marriage therapy if we do this, which is true. (laughs) A lot of people don't need couples counseling. If they just learn to do this, the root of poor communication is the inability to say how you feel specifically, not just I felt good or I felt bad, but for example, and you can just look at it. I felt rejected when I went in for a hug and you turned away from me. Can you tell me more about that? Like sometimes all I need is to know more. Boy, that was liberating for me personally when I realized that I don't have to identify exactly what the solution would be because a lot of times the solution is just to listen to my partner. Hmm. Because you know what? It's almost never about me. This is almost always, I was really stressed at work. I just didn't pick up on your cue. I didn't notice that you were coming in for a hug. I was distracted. It's almost never about me which helps me to not feel rejected. Oh, rejection is personal. Do you get that? Like when we're feeling rejected, that's a personal thing. We're Mm -hmm. thinking our partner thought, I'm not going to give you what you need because it's you. That's personal. Do you know what? Sometimes they're just distracted. In fact, most of the time it has nothing to do with us. So here's a handy formula for how to complain. Again, put it on a note on your phone. And if you're getting really triggered, give yourself a minute. Don't say things when you're triggered. Would you do that with your best friend who's your same sex or who is not your partner? Would you say, would you say, you know what? You're just kind of crappy. Well, not if you're going to keep that friend, you know what? Your partner needs to be your best friend. If you're going to keep this partner, you're not going to talk to him like that anymore. Yeah. You're going to say, I felt blank when blank happened and I need blank. This is a great formula for expressing your issues. So I know we've got a lot of questions and I've talked and talked and talked. So are there specific questions that I can answer? Yeah, I mean,
0: what's interesting is you covered some of the questions just when you were talking, which is awesome, like uh, when you mentioned two-thirds of of problems will never be solved, that was a question is, are there times that we should just leave it? Are there times that we really need to try to resolve this conflict? And I think that that's important for people to hear that sometimes you're not going to resolve the conflict, and a lot of times you aren't, according to this two thirds number here. That's crazy. Um, And the other thing, and and maybe this would, I'll I'll leave the last one, this one, because I think this is interesting. Someone asked, is small talk important in a relationship? And I I think (laughs) I kind of wonder, this is a male who wrote in, and I kind of wonder if, if they're wondering like, "Do, do I have to do this? How important is this? Just, you know, talking here and there with my wife.
1: You only need to do that if you want to stay married. (laughs) That's a good answer. (laughs) Your partner is asking you the most important attachment and bonding question that there is, which is, are you there for me?
0: Hmm.
1: I'm going to give you an example. I really needed more connection with my sweetheart. And I realized that it came down to getting two text messages a day while we were apart. And I realized that that wasn't important for him because he's got a big job, a very busy job, and it might actually be a distraction for him. But I also realized the amount of frustration that was building. We were spending a lot of time on my frustration. Like it'd be a lot quicker to do two text messages a day. It would save us a, it would, it would make my day really, really happy. And would make his evening really, really happy, both of our evening. And so I complained, I said, I feel really lonely when I go an entire day without hearing from you. And I've realized what I need are two text messages. One of them, something that you couldn't send your boss, like starting with hello, love of my life or hi, sweetheart, something you couldn't send your boss, even if the rest of it is you know, very prosaic, just daily news. And the other one could be ab- absolutely anything. I just need to touch base a couple times a day. And I said, there's another thing I need. If something big comes up for me in the day that's emotionally triggering, I need to know that I can reach out to you and that, that you will care about it, that you'll be there for me. And some not long after this, something big did happen a really big loss happened in my life and I reached out and my partner absolutely was there. So that changed everything. It was, it, it's, does it amount to small talk? Yes. But here's the thing relationship experts who do the research. I don't do the research. I just tell you about the research that other people spent my entire life collecting the data for. So, you know, I'm kind of the messenger that you're not supposed to shoot. (laughs) The message is happy couples seem to have an unspoken motto. And the motto is small things. Often when your partner makes a bid for your attention, these bids are always almost always really tiny. Like, Hey, look at that. Or, Hey, did you hear this on the news today? Or I'm so frustrated that that happened. You know, something not to do with you. Or what do you think? Does this dress make me look fat? They're small things, small things, but they happen throughout the day all day, every day. And it's in these small moments that people answer the question, are you there for me? Small talk is where your marriage happens. If you don't want to do small talk, and you don't want to change your attitude, you're going to spend a lot of money on divorce possibly alimony and child support, get used to it. That is what is going to happen. I promise you clear answer. Yeah, that's really good. I love the small
0: things often. It's interesting. Now I by no means have a perfect marriage and we have to work on our crap all the time, but when we were dating, we were long distance. And so we had to rely on old fashioned. This is before FaceTime, just phone communication, you know, and we talked about everything and that's been I, I think that that's been so helpful continuing on as we continue to talk about everything even the stupid things that don't seem to matter <laughs> we talk about it and i and i think that that's been helpful for me for just being heard i need to be heard you know even if i'm not making sense i need to be heard and so i love that it, you said that because i wouldn't can think that that's a contributor to the
1: health of our marriage but it is that makes sense that is your marriage hmm it's not contributing. It is what marriage is. Marriage is turning toward your partner in small moments. It is small talk. It Mm. is in, in every moment, not just the ones that seem earth shattering saying I'm there for you. You are important to me. Even when all you're talking about is what should we have for dinner? (laughs) Yeah, that's you're important to me at all times. There are three things we can do when our partner makes a bid for our attention. And a bid can simply be a deep sigh. When our partner makes a bid for our attention, we can turn toward them. We can turn away from them or we can turn against them. Mm. When our partner sighs deeply, we can say, oh, honey, what's up? That's turning toward. We can turn away, which could be simply ignoring it. Not noticing it, being clued out, saying nothing. Or we can turn against them oh my god you're doing it again why are you always upset actually attacking them i will bet everyone listening is intelligent enough to figure out which one of these three the master couples are employing they turn toward sometimes they miss each other's cues sometimes they miss each other's bids it's funny um one therapy tip is to have the person who's making the bids and their partner is not really picking up on them. Their partner's turning away because they just don't hear the bit that it was a bid. To say this is a bid, <laughs> to be like just that. obvious about it. Mm-hmm. This is a bid. Or, I, you know, I've been known to say I need three compliments. Mm-hmm. You know what? Mm-hmm. Your partner married you because they love you. They want to make you happy. If you say I need this. And you're really obvious. Most of the time you're, if, unless you married an abuser, yeah, your partner's going to step up and say, Oh, here you go. You need that. Here you go. They're your friend, right? You married part of the reason you got married to them was they're your friend. So you're totally right. You and your spouse telling each other everything. Oh, and here's something else I meant to bring up a lot of men, especially, feel that they have to be strong for everyone. And they're not allowed to have negative emotions. Mm-hmm. They're not permitted to do that. So when you show leadership, if you're in a heterosexual union and you're the woman and you're the mechanic, and which is true eighty percent, about 70 to 80% of the time in heterosexual relationships, you can be the leader by whipping out the feeling wheel and talking about what you feel and then say, how did you feel today? There is no intimacy, not really. There's not really knowing a person totally and loving a person totally, which is what intimacy is. There's not intimacy without vulnerability and there's not vulnerability without sharing the less positive emotions that you feel, not just about your partner, about everything. So when you share everything and you say, here's how I felt about that, and you model that for your partner, you, and you say, Hey, would you take a look at this and tell me how you felt Mm -hmm. today? And they might go, Oh, that's so dorky and go, yeah, but I really care about you. I really want to know how you feel. It is dorky, but I still I want to know how you feel. Mm-hmm. And then if they only tell you positive yippee skippy happy clappy stuff and you suspect because they're pulling away or they're acting different than they usually do, they've been disconnected lately, that they're feeling something else too, say, what about this top half of the wheel? You know, have you felt discouraged lately or foolish or embarrassed or or apathetic or or bashful or inadequate or lonely, any of those things. What are you feeling? I want to know all of it. I know you want to be my rock, but sometimes everybody needs to listen and be mm-hmm. heard. Yeah. Give them an out. That's good. Yeah.
0: I, I that is so helpful. And just even, yeah, what what are you feeling? I I want to know you on a deeper level. I want to continue to get to know you because seasons change. Life changes. We all change. So mm-hmm. I think that's important. You know, one of the questions that um that I got, I think would be really good as we're wrapping up and you can share your links because I think the person who sent this question might need to pick up what your resource on it, how to know if you're an abusive relationship or not, because I did get a question um, about how do you communicate and encourage and live with someone who's angry, constantly complaining, stuck in negative thought patterns and verbally abusive. So maybe this is a, we could just segue into you
1: sharing that resource because that sounds like that's something that that person might need. Yeah. So, um I have two books on abuse. One is um Love Factually How to Avoid Abusers Before They Have a Chance to Avoid You. Mm. If you suspect that you or someone you love is with someone where it's trending that way, I urge you to get that one. And then my 99 cent one um is Love Factually um, I can't remember the rest of the title. It's my other abuse book, basically. Mm-hmm. Now all these books are on Amazon. You can also okay. see free content from every one of my seven books at lovefactually.co. Okay. You can get a link to every book. You can get a link to free content on every book. It's it's all right there. So um, so I've got another love factually book that's about um, identifying abusers and planning your escape. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Cause that, you know, it's, it's interesting. I got a really wide range of questions and that one, I just thought with everything you're saying, I'm like, it sounds like, you know, if you're doing everything you can uh, to help, you know, with communication and, and establish intimacy in a relationship, and you're being met with stonewalling and you're being met with nothing, that's probably a sign that you need to dig deeper into what's going on. So I'm, I'm so grateful for those resources that you
1: have. Well, thank you. And she's talking about someone who's actively verbally abusing her, not stonewalling, but, but it sounds like in her relationship, she's not the mechanic he is. And he's Mm. an abusive mechanic. Mm. And so she's not going to be, I I, I just can't say this clearly enough. You can refuse to escalate a situation, but if you're with an abuser, you can't prevent the abuse because this isn't about you. This is what they do. Mm. This is what they do. And so if this person is using implied or overt threats of violence in order to control or manipulate you in a sustained manner, which is what verbal abuse is, Mm -hmm. if they are threatening you verbally or tearing down your self-esteem in such a way that they think you can't leave, which is a lot of a lot of verbal abuse comes from a man who is. I'm just giving you like the the classic type. In other words, not everybody fits this who's an abuser, but a man who has an um, anxious attachment style. He feels terrified that he will be abandoned, and one of his tools to keep you from abandoning ab- abandoning him is to cut you off from all the other people in your life and to keep you degraded enough that you feel you mm. don't have other options. Mm. Ugh, it's painful. It is very painful. It's painful for both people, mm. but it's, you're not going to be able to change him. You will not be able to change him. I just can't say it clearly enough. Mm. You can't communicate or therapy your way out of this. Yeah, that's good. Gosh,
0: you are a, such a wealth of knowledge and you're so helpful. And I appreciate you taking this time. I could go on further, (laughs) but, um, just thank you for taking the time to be on the show and share this information because I'm always just, we get to the end and I'm
1: like, wait, (laughs) we're done. (laughs) So thank you so, so much for being on the show. Oh, I am so grateful to be here. You know, I, I want healthy thriving relationships for everybody. I really am passionate about that. And you've given me a way to, to bring that information to more people. I appreciate you so much. And I really hope that this has been helpful for everybody today. I think it for sure has. Thank you again. The tiniest spark leads
0: to the biggest blaze. And I hope that today's episode sparks you on a journey to healing and wholeness. Thanks for listening to Sparking Wholeness. For more information on what I do and my coaching programs, or maybe just to reach out and say hey, find me at sparkingwholeness.com or on Instagram at Sparking Wholeness. Have a fabulous week.